Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. We're going to start with our main memory verse, which is 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 through 19. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Such a, such a beautiful scripture. So today we're looking at Genesis chapters 40 and 41, which brings us from Joseph's period in prison to his elevation to the chief administrative role uh, in, in the empire of Egypt. And God reveals himself in the life and story of Joseph to be a God who's in control of even the details of history. So from a human perspective, it appears that Joseph has, has come into some really terrible luck as he moves from Palestine to Egypt and from Potiphar's house to prison. But the chapters we're looking at today really demonstrate that God overrules the evil intentions of others. That what others meant to destroy Joseph actually sets him up to bring about the salvation of his family and in fact, the whole nation. He's shown in these chapters to become the chief civil servant in the land and in this role serves as an architect of a social policy that, that literally saves the nation from mass starvation. So Joseph is this extraordinary example. He's a great example, but he's not the perfect, perfect example. He does reveal some parallels with the only perfect example we have in scripture, and that's, of course, Jesus. They both experienced a couple of the most heart-wrenching things that could ever happen to a person. First being betrayal at the hands of loved ones. And the second being false witness from others leading to arrest by authorities. But in both cases, God overrules this and uses the means that are meant to destroy them, the means that were meant to destroy Joseph, the means that were meant to destroy Jesus, as the tool to set up the salvation of Egypt and of humanity. So in fact, the moment that, that seems the darkest is actually a prelude to the greatest triumph because God demonstrates his sovereign will, his ability to use even what others mean for harm to bring about a good end. So if you're looking for a more encouraging narrative for a difficult season of your life, you'll be hard pressed to find a better one than the story of Joseph. As we watch Joseph, we see that he's doing everything that he knows to do. He's serving day by day. And there's, there's a point in his story we're going to get to where he thinks he's found a solution and I would imagine there would have been hope in that moment. And yet it says that he's forgotten about by humanity. And there may be moments in your life when you feel like you're doing everything that you are supposed to do. And you feel like man has forgotten you, but you can rest assured that you are not forgotten. 
because God never forgets. And I don't want to oversimplify and put a, a nice bow on every hardship that we face. But I think that we have biblical evidence that even in moments where we're toiling in obscurity or when others are actively working to bring us down, that God remains sovereign. And he has a pattern of overturning the plans of the evil one to bring about good. It calls to mind the scripture that no weapon formed against us will prosper. The weapon might be formed, but it won't prosper. So abiding in Jesus means trusting the outcomes to him. We surrender the outcomes. We do what we know to do is right day by day, and we trust God with the outcomes. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, amazed by you, by who you are in our lives, and your desire to shape us and conform us into the image of your son. Lord, this morning we pray for those who are just experiencing the short five-minute uh, portion and then moving on into other parts of their day. Lord, I pray that this would be a word of encouragement to them, that it would, would lift them up and, and help them to, to understand how you are desiring to walk with them and that you are working even when they can't see it. Lord, and for those of us who are continuing on through the rest of this study, God, I pray that, that you would help me as I unpack the word to, to not get in the way, but to allow your scriptures to speak words of life and hope and truth. And I pray that there would be ears to hear and understand what you are saying this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's continue into our Bible study and let's really get into Genesis chapters 40 and 41. And the context to today's readings, as if you've been following along with us through Heartstrong, is that we have Joseph who's been falsely accused and wrongfully imprisoned. So at the end of chapter 39, it's also set up that Joseph has found favor in the eyes of the keeper of the prison. It says the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. And then a second time it says, the Lord was with Joseph and makes everything he does succeed. So even as he's in the prison, there are signs that God was still with him and was showing him steadfast love. You know, we can look at these as, as the, the breadcrumbs that show that he has not been forgotten or forsaken. We're going to jump right into chapter 40 together, and then we'll pause there and reflect before we read chapter 41. So I'm reading from the ESV, Genesis chapter 40. It says, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who are confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. 
Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief, cup, chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Wow. Okay, so let's go back right to verse, verse one. It says, sometime after this, you know, and when we get those, those little clues in scripture, it, it's easy for us to be, as we're going along, reading the Bible as if everything is happening in, in a day or in a short amount of time. But when it says sometime after this, they're really wanting us to understand that, that time is passing where Joseph is, is confined. We are likely talking about years. We don't know how long each part of Joseph's story is, but we know that Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. And he was 30 when he was elevated by Pharaoh. So there's a total of 13 years that are passing where he's um, in slavery and then in prison. So after Joseph has already been in prison for, a, for an indeterminate amount of time, we find that the chief cupbearer and the baker have committed some sort of offense and been thrown into prison. And these roles of, of cupbearer and baker, these aren't just ordinary jobs in the kingdom. These are trusted officials. Anyone who's preparing the food and drink for the king had to be thoroughly vetted. And uh, gotquestions.org has a great description of what a cupbearer is. It says, historically, a cupbearer was a high-ranking official in charge of serving the king. It was primarily the responsibility of a cupbearer to serve the wine to the royal table. Since kings were concerned about plots to poison them, cupbearers had to guard the cup carefully and would sometimes taste the drink before serving it to ensure it was safe. Due to the responsibilities of the position, a cupbearer had to be trustworthy and loyal. A cupbearer had the king's confidence and because of his character was able to exert influence in the royal court. So you can see from this, this description that the people that Joseph is in prison with, the people that he's rubbing shoulders with are very important men in the kingdom. And, and this is no surprise because it fits a, a previous pattern that gives us clues that God has been working in the background this whole time. I don't think it's a coincidence that of all the people who could have bought Joseph in Egypt, it was Potiphar. It was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. So Joseph was already set up to be in proximity to tremendous influence, right? The, the hand of God is just, is just so clear. So Joseph was appointed to be with these men and to attend them. So in his role in the prison, he already has this, this responsibility. And so he's there serving these men. And again, the Bible says some time elapses, right? So one of the central themes of Joseph, Joseph's life is this, this sustained excellence in service to others. They both have these troubling dreams. And it says that Joseph was attentive enough to notice that something was up, that, that something was wrong. So Joseph isn't just kind of dialing it in, doing the bare minimum, but 
as he is serving these, these people, even from a place of confinement, he's able to identify that there's something bothering them and he reaches out to them desiring to, to have a positive, uh, positive influence. So in verse eight, when they reveal their issue to Joseph, his response is, do not interpretations belong to God. So I love this response. It's a very simple response, but there's, there's two things we can pick up here. And the first is he's establishing that God is the source of power and revelation. So Joseph himself is saying, I can't take credit for anything that might come out of this. But he's also making it implicit that he communes with God and is going to be able to bring back information from God. So as for those of us who are following God, it's a, it's a simple response, but it's instructive because we are going to have experiences where people are going to come and bear their issues to us. And we have to be comfortable enough to say, Jesus alone has the answer, that, that God alone has the answer to your situation, but I know him and I can bring this to him. So Joseph is told the, the dream of the chief cupbearer and he's able to provide an interpretation. And you know, it's a positive one that the official will be reinstated to his position in short order. And then he adds this, which I'm sure you picked up on as we were reading it. He says in verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Man, I, I, can, I can hear Joseph's anguish in these words, right? To say, I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So this is metaphoric language because he's, you know, he's in a prison. It's not an actual pit, but he can use that description because he's literally been put in a pit before by his brothers in Canaan. It's, it's a reminder of how incredibly unfair situations have been, that he's now twice been thrown into a pit without having done anything wrong. You know, and I, I, I read those words and I can hear his, I guess you would call it his, his yearning for freedom, his, his hope. Joseph in this moment is trying to figure a way out of his predicament and he's envisioning how it could play out. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely, I've done that, that I've been faced with a circumstance and I've thought, okay, if, if this happens like this and maybe if someone does this, then, then I, could, I could arrive at the destination that I'm trying to, you know, I, I know how this is going to play out and, and here's a possible solution. So the chief Baker hears this conversation and thinks, okay, great. You know, I, I've just heard this positive interpretation. I'm also going to get good news. Joseph is saying good stuff. And so he shares his dream. And it is worth noting that Joseph doesn't just tell the baker what he wants to hear, that he's honest with him. That is a hard thing to, to look him in the eye and, and honestly share what, what God has shared with him um, rather than just telling him what he might want to hear. So as we read Joseph's interpretations ring true, the cupbearer is reinstated and the baker is hanged. And then we get down to verse 23, which for me is one of the most striking verses in, in Joseph's story. It's speaking about the cupbearer who has been returned to his position of power in proximity with the most powerful person in the empire. And it says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Just a few observations. One is, let's not be like the cupbearer. Um, there are times where, where people help us out when we're in, in a place of need. And then once the situation is resolved, we forget about them. It's very possible to do that for us to be so caught up in our own situation that once things get better for us, that we, 
that we forget to um, give aid and support and help to people who were there for us in our moments of need. The second observation is that the cupbearer forgot Joseph, but God never did. There was not a single moment when Joseph was not loved and treasured by God. God knew exactly where he was at every single moment of this story. And so Joseph didn't know it, but God's plan was actually much bigger and better than his. He was hoping that the cupbearer would, you know, maybe put in a good word for him and he would be granted clemency and he could perhaps return to his homeland. And that's a good plan, right? That's the kind of plan that I would think of, you know, like put in a good word for me. Maybe he'll let me go free. I can go back home to my family. But look at God's plan. God's plan was that Joseph would attain the highest administrative position in the land and from there be in a position to help save an empire and his whole family line in a famine. Joseph had to walk through years of disappointment and shattered dreams while retaining hope and not succumbing to bitterness. That surely would have been a temptation, just knowing how he had been multiple times wronged. And then even to arrive at this place where, you know, you think you have a solution and you're like, yes, I've, I've just helped out this influential person. They've been restored to their position and then to be forgotten. So let's read the first half of chapter 41 and, and see how, how things play out. Again, from the ESV. Um, it says, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile and behold, there came, came up out of the Nile seven cows attractive and plump and they fed in the reed grass and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows and Pharaoh awoke and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears and Pharaoh awoke and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, ah, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And he interpreted to us, so it came about, I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. 
and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of, of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. All right, let's pause here and, and reflect a little bit. So if we start from verse one, it's, it's again says that two more years pass with Joseph in prison. These are two more years in which Joseph didn't lose hope. Even after his betrayal, the false accusation by Potiphar's wife, after the chief cupbearer couldn't even remember to put in a good word for him. If, if Joseph was anything like me, the first few days after he had, after the chief cupbearer had been restored, he would have been like, you know, any day now. I know the chief cupbearer has been restored. He's back in a position to help. And so any day now, these doors are going to be thrown open wide. And then days turn to months. And, and two years go by. And then we see that Pharaoh has two dreams that have a clear parallel, abundance followed by scarcity. And of course, the fact that, that he had these two dreams back to back would have been a clear sign that this isn't just normal dreams. And Pharaoh's magicians aren't able to interpret the dreams. And this triggers the memory of the cupbearer who recounts his experience with Joseph. In verse 14, Pharaoh sends for Joseph. And there's a clear sense of, of speed here, right? That one moment Joseph is in prison and the next he's whisked out of there and cleaned up to be presented to the king. And then verses 15 and 16 have a key exchange where Pharaoh basically says, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And we see again, Joseph refuses to take credit for God's work. He says, it's not in me, it's God. And, and I love that response. It calls to mind Psalm 34 too, that says, I will boast only in the Lord. There could have been the opportunity for Joseph to, to sort of puff himself up and say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I, I have a track record of being, you know, he could have tried to take some credit for him, but Rather, in front of this polytheistic ruler, he points to the one true and living God. So Joseph then interprets the dream and explains how there will be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. But then Joseph goes one step further and applies his God-given administrative gifts to propose a solution. We don't actually know the details of everything that Joseph did while he was in Potiphar's house or while he was in prison, but is it possible that the very captivity that he was trying to get out of was preparing him for significant leadership down the road. So while he was managing Potiphar's estate, was he learning about logistics and planning? 
while he was serving in the prison, was he learning valuable interpersonal or administrative skills that would help him later in, in his leadership role? So I think there's a lesson for us here in, in learning even in difficult seasons, that even when we find ourselves not where we wanna be, are there things that God can teach us that'll benefit us in the next season of life? Let's keep reading down to the end. Um, Genesis again, 41, verse 37 says, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus, he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Joseph said, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphanath Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great measure, in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. All right. So here in this, this last uh, portion of Genesis 41, we have Joseph's rise to, to prominence. And, and as you read the description, it's really this meteoric rise to this incredibly high post. And it has, it's one of those like moments that, that you read and you go, this has to be God. That not only is he freed from prison, but he's given the position, also known as the vizier, as the grand steward, the chief administrative officer. Joseph was 30 when he was raised to this position of power and influence. But he went through 13 years of, of hardship, 13 years of, of testing of his character, 13 years of, of challenge and growth. And he didn't have the luxury of knowing how his story would unfold. And I always try to remember that as I'm reading about what people are walking through, that these were real people who went through real things. 
that they didn't have the benefit of knowing, oh, you know, like a decade from now, things are going to be wonderful, but they had to walk every day and maintain the faith. There's a reason why in Hebrews, when it, when it talks about the hall of faith and it reads out how these individuals handled themselves, that, that we see that they, that they sustained their faith even through difficult times. And it's hard to overstate just how significant a role Joseph played in saving countless people, in saving the, the, the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from potential starvation as the severe famine swept the land and even went beyond Egypt's borders. But ultimately, if we were to pull this together, we would see that God overrules the evil intentions of wicked people to accomplish his purpose. You know, I, I don't think we can say that at the end of every prison is a palace, but I do think that when we abide in Christ, when we have fellowship with him, he will give us meaning and hope in every season, wherever we find ourselves. And he will take what others mean to harm us and he'll use it for our good, that God is still working in our situation. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.